Hi, everyone, and welcome to another session of the Seamless Connection podcast. I am thrilled this morning to have with us Dr. Raghu Adiga, CEO at Liberty Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, Dr. Adiga, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Thank you, Mina. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Uh, It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to dive into it with you. I guess first to start off for the audience, can you give them a little bit of your background from um, from kind of your entry into healthcare and all the way to now your current role as CEO of Liberty? Sure. Uh, uh, well, I'm from India. I was uh, born and uh, brought up in rural southern India uh, in a lower middle class family. And uh, like any other family in the wider world, uh, my parents were... Uh, you know, um, mostly interested in good education for uh, their kids. And uh, that's how I ended up, um, you know, getting my good education, which is um, pretty common in India and uh, was the beneficiary of that and went to college in India, uh, did my med school there and uh, ended up here in the U.S. at the age of uh, 24. And uh, so things happen, Uh, you know, fast forward, I find myself uh, now the CEO of uh, uh, a mid-sized hospital here in the uh, Kansas City area in Liberty. Um, you know, I did infectious disease for a number of years uh, as a practicing physician and uh, did uh, chief medical officer for a few years as uh, gaining experience in leadership and uh, uh, took over as the CEO about a year ago. No, that's great. Um, you and I have talked a lot in the past about adaptability and how that's important on both a personal and professional level. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, per- personal first for you within your family, within your professional career. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and help the audience understand you know, um, where adaptability fits in and how important it is personally and professionally to get you where you are? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I do strongly believe, I think, uh, change uh, in anyone's life is uh, uh, certainly going to happen. It's a question of when and uh, how do you adapt to that change uh, tells you how successful you become. And I strongly believe in that. And the personal story, uh, I think, uh, does support that as well. And obviously, I grew up in, uh, um, you know, uh, in a, a lower middle class family and uh, nobody in my family had even gone to college or uh, uh, let alone med school. And so I was able to do that. And then I'm the first one in the family to speak English. Uh, I didn't actually speak English until I went to med school and uh, first one in the family to actually even fly out of the country uh, to a different country. So. The change uh, when I arrived here in U.S. at the age of uh, 24 was uh, unmistakable, as you can imagine. There was no family members. Uh, there are uh, uh, no friends, uh, so to speak, of yet. Uh, but that's the story of a typical immigrant in this country, uh, the uh, first immigrant who comes here. And uh, those who become successful are the ones who adapt to that kind of change. So it, it was good personally, and I was able to get my um, uh, residency and fellowship training and uh, got interested in infectious disease. Um, it's a specialty that I felt uh, uh, fell in love with, just with the mentor who um, showed me you know, what you could do with it and how you can change uh, people's lives. That was uh, very interesting. So went into infectious disease and uh, again, change, uh, I needed, um, uh, a visa um, a change for me to stay here longer that brought me to Missouri 
and uh, again another change coming from Chicago to a small town in Missouri and I didn't think I'd be here uh, this long that was in 1997 and uh, this is 2023 I'm still here in Missouri so you have to adapt and evolve to the change and change is good so I was able to you know grow professionally and uh, uh, be able to uh, you know uh, change to say from clinical world to uh, leadership role and uh, CMO and now the CEO. So, I was going to ask you about that because that's yeah. a that's a big change from practicing clinically, which I know you loved, and and being part of of a thriving ID practice to becoming CMO and then becoming administration of the hospital to now being CEO. Um, you know, did those kind of just naturally fall in? Were those positions you actively looked forward to? Uh, kind of stepping into? And if so, would love to get some thoughts as to kind of what drove you on both of those. Yeah. You know, a lot of us in uh, uh, healthcare, especially physicians, don't always think of uh, administration and leadership roles. Uh, most of us are uh, what's called accidental leaders. And uh, maybe you can put me in that category. Um, however, uh, you don't take up those positions if you don't have interest. So it so happened that um, I uh, was asked to be the chair of the Department of Medicine and then be the chief of medical staff in the medical staff leadership world in this hospital. And uh, I, uh, I liked those roles. And uh, um, in 2016, that's when the hospital needed somebody from the uh, medical staff to take a leadership role in the hospital. They did not have a CMO or anybody uh, in this hospital at that time. And I also had some personal need to uh, potentially, you know, change my career. I was um, just going through a divorce and I had uh, a couple of children that I needed to spend some time with. So I thought I needed more control on my time. And it was difficult in ID practice. Uh, going home at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night was a little hard on the kids. So it fell in place and uh, I thought, okay, let me try. And I started loving it. And um, so that's where you are. So continue to grow in that field. And uh, uh, I did realize though, you know, the interest in clinical practice is mostly what we feel that we can make a change in someone else's life. And that's what gives you a, a huge positive reinforcement. And uh, I realized that being in leadership, well, you can still do that and you can do that a lot more than what you were doing as an individual uh, with an individual patient. So I started liking that and uh, I think uh, my career uh, uh, went in that direction. Yeah, and definitely, we've, we've definitely heard a lot of guests talk about the scale of impact, right? And wanting to make a bigger, bigger impact with what power that they have and, and the resources that they control. So now as CEO, how has that changed? And I'd love to kind of understand the difference between um, from a CMO perspective to a CEO perspective, because I don't think people really understand the nuances there other than one is clinical and one is one is you know more business focused, but you're both. So how would you describe the difference from your time as CMO to your time as CEO? Um, and, and maybe if there is a difference uh, dramatically, the impact you're able to make from one role to the other. Yeah, so the CEO position obviously involves uh, a lot more than the clinical side of things. As you mentioned, I think the business part is the most important one. And uh, now you're, uh, you know, I find myself responsible for uh, 1,900 employees and a large patient population that we serve here in uh, uh, 
uh, you know, northern uh, uh, part of uh, Kansas City, uh, Liberty area. And uh, the hospital itself is in uh, a good path for growth. And that's a responsibility of the CEO to lead that in that direction. And there are a lot of positive things going on. And obviously, uh, a good realization is that it's just not the CEO, it's the team that makes a huge difference. And I walked into a, a leadership team that was exceptional in a lot of other areas that, uh, you know, physicians, we physician leaders find ourselves, uh, or at least think that we are not that good at, take for example, finance or, uh, you know, certain operations. Um, but I've got really reliable leaders in those areas who uh, certainly help. Um, so there is a difference between uh, CEO and the CMO in that regard. You're uh, responsible for uh, making sure that uh, uh, we stay within the budget and uh, make plans for um, the future growth while not uh, necessarily um, losing certain service lines. And that's where I think the CMO uh, experience comes in. I have the intimate clinical knowledge of uh, what works and what doesn't work. So I can bring that into my C-suite and have a good discussion on, uh, you know, there is a certain service line that may not be as financially productive, but it is essential for the hospital or for the community. So we figure out a way to keep that going. So those are the kind of things that help um, as um, uh, as a CEO, but certainly it's um, it's uh, on-the-job uh, learning experience, no question about that. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, because you basically became CEO in pretty much the most challenging time to ever be a hospital CEO, I think. So props to you on being so successful at it when you did that. Um, how has it been for the last year and from 2021, 2022 to today? If you could just give us a little bit of context for Liberty. Liberty is very unique it is in that it's one of you know the last remaining, if I can be uh, hyperbolic in that way, maybe uh, independent hospitals. I know a big part of what you're working on is, you know, what is the best way to have Liberty meet the needs of its community, whether it's independent or not. And I know that was a big point for you as you took over. Um, can you talk to us a bit about, you know, steering a hospital through the challenges of COVID and then how do you look at it now going forward with you know, we've lost all the COVID funding. Uh, growth is coming from different areas. Um, you know, the government hasn't exactly fixed the funding issues that we have with CMS. So how do you think about all of that? And then how do you look forward from a hospital perspective? Yeah, that's a very interesting question indeed. Um, of course, like many other organi organizations, ours has been tested uh, during COVID, no question about that. Our resilience, our adaptability, and our uh, capacity to manage change certainly has been questioned. Um, and, you know, obviously we had to make some critical decisions in real time during COVID and uh, we had to collaborate across varieties of sectors and uh, improve the communications after all. And um, so the pandemic actually served as a catalyst for this kind of uh, transformation and uh, it fostered a certain culture of uh, needing to keep on with continuous improvement and preparedness. To me, I think it helped uh, being an infectious disease physician and I was the CMO at that time. So I still uh, remember the day uh, when uh, my then CEO uh, called me in to have a discussion about the pandemic. 
And this was like in February of 2020. And uh, in January itself, I was sending out emails to my physician colleagues about, oh, I hear about this novel coronavirus in uh, China. I don't think it's going to be an issue for us, but I think we need to look at these, these things. So anyway, it uh, really grew to a point where we needed to have a facilities response and we had to set up an incident command. So. Uh, I agreed with him and uh, we sat down to discuss uh, details and then he goes, uh, we need an incident commander. So I started to look around the room, looking at leaders, who could be the best incident commander? And then uh, he looks at me and says, well, I know of a physician who's an infectious disease physician and a CMO. What about that? <laughs> so that's how uh, it uh, ended up falling on my lap. But uh, it was certainly an advantage. We had a great team, a very seasoned team here, and uh, my uh, infectious disease background also helped in uh, communicating with the other healthcare facilities in Kansas City. So the chief medical officers of other hospitals, we all got together periodically, almost once a week. And where I felt uh, my input was uh, taken seriously, and uh, so we were able to collaborate a lot better with other hospitals, other uh, organizations around us. So. Uh, that that was a good background for uh, you know dealing with change and uh, how to manage crisis. That certainly has helped me um, in the CEO role now as well. No, and that completely makes sense. Um, in terms of specific examples you can think of that you found or that you thought Liberty needs to change, and these are changes you've made as taking over. Um, can you talk to us about anything that comes top of mind or that you consider a key success as, as you kind of um, work towards getting Liberty facing the needs of the future? Yeah, of course. I mean, there are a lot of different areas that we've, uh, um, you know, brought change. Uh, just to give you an example, um, telemedicine. I mean, uh, that's been uh, pretty common everywhere, but our system was a little bit slow to adapt to that. I can remember uh, one of our own primary care physicians uh, who is actually very good in tech. He'd been uh, talking about, oh, we need to be doing more in telemedicine, but we had not really moved in that direction a whole lot. And uh, of course, when the pandemic hit, uh, there was an urgent need and we moved fast to start doing that. And uh, I remember him uh, calling me and telling me one day, that, wow, finally we are there. Uh, I can't believe it took a pandemic for us to get there. Uh, but <laughs> that's just 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 an example. And of course, uh, uh, we uh, were, it, it's mostly the process change. You know, a lot of approvals and uh, policy changes would take weeks to months, but we can do that so much quicker now. Uh, even even today, there are still supply line issues that uh, frequently come and um, bother us, but we can think ahead and be prepared for those uh, those kind of changes. And of course, technology overall, I think uh, we are a lot more receptive. And, uh, um, you know, I know AI is coming and we need to be ready for it. And uh, those kind of things, I think uh, uh, we are better prepared. So in terms of just from an overall hospital CEO perspective, it sounds like change management, process change, all of that, and, and getting kind of team buy-in, it sounds like, is, is a big part of having successful program change. Is that something that there's 
lessons and takeaways that you can pull out for other hospital CEOs or other, uh, you know, hospital leadership to take away of, of, hey, this is how, you know, maybe without a pandemic forcing you next time, this is how you get successful change in a hospital, which, as, as we all know, has a lot of stakeholders, has a lot of people that need to weigh in before, you know, real change can be made. <clears throat> yeah, of course. I mean, I think... Uh... Uh, this is again a matter of uh, communication and collaboration and making sure that uh, all the stakeholders have a buy-in. Uh, but that needs to be done um, as efficiently and quickly as possible. The more time you spend on uh, uh, you know, making a decision, uh, there is uh, always competition and you lose um, your uh, relative advantage. So certainly we need to do that. The other thing in healthcare that uh, certainly is happening in addition to advances in tech is uh, how uh, the consolidation is taking place in healthcare because uh, the scale certainly is important. If you look at it, um, there are a lot of other industries where if if you look at 25% of, um, or just take 25 large uh, companies in uh, any other um, institution, say airline or banking or something, they control nearly 75% of that industry. But if you look at healthcare, if you take uh, 75 of those, they only still control less than 25% of healthcare. So there is a lot more room for consolidation. And you're going to see that a lot more and more over the next few years. And we are certainly seeing that already in Kansas City market. Um, what do you think is driving that? Like, what's the benefit or what's the upside in consolidation versus why would a hospital want to consolidate? Yeah. So I can give you from my own example, and certainly each uh, each institution has uh, their own reasons for it. Uh, in our case, um, you know, there are a lot of positives for being a medium-sized or a smaller hospital. That is, we are very nimble. We can make decisions a lot quickly. We can make local decisions. And... Uh, we have this personal touch in our uh, healthcare that we are providing. All of those are positives, but there are negatives. The negatives are uh, resources and being able to grow and bring the economies of scale to what we do. So I am already foreseeing a lot of needs that we have for us to grow with the community that we have around here. So for example, we need to be able to put a lot more um, resources into opening more new clinics, bringing technology into it, for example, our uh, EHR, we really need one EHR across the entire platform of clinics and the hospital. We have 15 different clinics that we own. So we need to be able to do that with the EHR so that there is um, you know, not much inefficiencies that are currently there. So we need to get over that. And then, of course, uh, you know, talking about other technologies, whether it's telemedicine platform, being able to bring in additional services through telemedicine or even for that matter, AI. And I do anticipate in the next five years, there's going to be a whole lot of changes that AI is going to bring. And uh, the bigger health systems have a leg up on us and uh, we'll be way behind if uh, we are slow to adapt to those kind of changes. So I think having a good partner with whom we can uh, work with um, culturally, that's a good partner and um, will continue to maintain our this personal touch that we are talking about, the culture that we have developed. If we can continue that along with bringing these resources, it's a win-win situation for everybody. So 
that's the main reason for us. And I'm sure, uh, you know, other other organizations such as uh, St. Luke's, who just um, announced their partnership with uh, BJC Healthcare, those are two large health systems in uh, Missouri. Um, they have their own reasons like that. And uh, I think given our uh, population growth that's happening here in the Northland and uh, the healthcare that we provide all the way up to Iowa border up here, and uh, you know rural medicine uh, we we truly have an opportunity here so it's it's getting at the opportunity before it's too late and a big part of what it sounds like is driving at least from your perspective the consolidation um, attractiveness is is the access to additional resources whether it's to bring in telemedicine or new platforms new technologies like ai uh, and then being able to put that through is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's one of the major uh, reasons, certainly. And uh, um, the access is not just the capital, there is also, um, you know, additional uh, specialties and being able to, uh, um, uh, for example, research that happens in uh, big academic uh, 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 institutions. And there is a lot of uh, benefit that comes out of that, whether it is a personalized medicine, whether it is clinical trials, we want to be able to provide that right here in the Northland without for these patients having to travel um, a whole lot. Um, that's an interesting story. When I came here to Northland, uh, that is a Missouri River uh, between downtown Kansas City and uh, Northland here. And the patients always hated crossing the river to go to downtown to receive their care. It doesn't matter, there are five bridges across the river, but still, they they like being here and receiving their care here and we'll be able to do that so that's that's what i'm looking forward to that's great where um if, if you can describe kind of the region i know northland's grown a lot um, both in terms of population as well as in terms of needs um at, over the last kind of even the last few years but especially over the last decade how big was it when you started and what's the patient catchment area and and sit and profile now yeah, I mean, it certainly has grown. I mean, for example, uh, the couple of counties here, Platte County and Clay County, um, those, those two are the counties here in the Northland. In the state of Missouri, Platte County is the fastest growing county in the entire state. And Clay County is the third uh, fastest growing uh, county. So uh, there are a lot of new businesses coming in and the population growth uh, purely because of uh, other uh, potentials uh, such as the airport. We have a new airport now and you are able to access any big city can access, um, people in big cities can access and still have a cost of living that is uh, remarkably better. I'm talking to somebody who lives in California, so. <laughs> you don't need, you need to preach to the choir here, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, the, so the population growth in our catchment area has been, uh, I would say in the last, uh, at least 10 years, I would say it's gone well over five to 10%. Uh, if I had to guess, um, it's been growing. Yeah, five to 10% a year. Um, and one thing that I found unique when I came out to visit was just the the wide variety of patient types and, and kind of clinical needs that you're facing. Like you mentioned earlier, you're seeing patients and your clinics are treating patients in rural areas all the way to a major metro area like Kansas City itself. So how do you how do you set the system up? How do you set Liberty up to meet the needs of such disparate populations when resources might be different from clinic A to and you know in the rural part of Platte County all the way through to, you know, downtown? 
Yeah, so uh, you're right. I think uh, we need to be prepared for uh, uh, servicing all sorts of patients here. Uh, the location is a suburb, suburban location, and uh, we do have a lot of those patients. However, as you mentioned, to the north of here is a large agricultural land all the way to Iowa. And there are some smaller feeder hospitals uh, to the north of us who do send patients to us. So we need to be able to provide care for all of those. And we do have clinics um, you know, spread out in uh, several different areas. So. Uh, we need to be able to provide care uh, either directly and also on the long run, certainly we will uh, be considering uh, offering some sort of teleservices, especially with our specialists. It would be nice for them to go there um, to the far off clinics. But as you know, as the specialists get uh, more and more busy, it's really hard for them to find time to make these kind of in-person visits. And uh, I anticipate eventually we'll be able to offer those kind of services to outlying clinics and also to uh, feeder hospitals. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly there are a lot of disparities in uh, healthcare delivery. Um, we are not you know, unique to that, uh, but uh, socioeconomic conditions and uh, of course, uh, like anywhere else, you know, language barriers and cultural differences do play a role and we need to be prepared for all of those. No, that makes sense. Um, in terms of kind of, there's a lot coming up in the next five, 10 years that you're working on that you're laying the groundwork for, which, you know, there's a, you're, you're not biting off a small amount here. What are you most excited about for 2023? Uh, right now, for our hospital, uh, certainly we are, uh, you know, looking at a good uh, partnership uh, search, and uh, I do anticipate it's going to be great. We are going to find a partner who's uh, culturally the best fit for us and will help us grow uh, exponentially here. And uh, on the long run, beyond 2023, certainly I do feel that there are uh, uh, you know, bigger things that I hope we'll be able to address, just like with any other uh, healthcare facilities. I want to be able to grow physician leadership. Um, uh, having uh, been through that, I recognize uh, clinicians are in a unique position to um, help um, the healthcare delivery get better, especially to you know uh, uh, people who need them. There is a lot of uh, misaligned. Uh, uh, incentives uh, in healthcare. Uh, it's not one person's, uh, um, able, you know, one person is not going to be able to do that. I'm hoping that on the long run, there's going to be uh, a concerted effort in the United States. Um, we, uh, what, we spend 18% of our GDP in uh, healthcare, and we don't really have a whole lot to show for it uh, compared to a lot of European countries. There is a lot more that we need to be able to do. Uh, technology is coming. And I think if we get good leadership, especially clinicians into that, we can do it. So I'm, uh, I'm thrilled about the future, uh, what we can do in the, in the next five to 10 years. That's awesome. And then from um, an independent hospital perspective, uh, and also just a, uh, you know, a key resource in your community perspective, what keeps you up at night? What, what, you know, keep, gets you worried? What has you concerned that, hey, we have all this potential ahead of us. There are all these amazing things we can do for our community, but this and whatever this is, it's one thing, it's three things, um, are the things that put that in jeopardy of, of, being, of becoming realized. Yeah, there are some things that uh, really do bother me. And uh, a lot of that uh, revolves typically around uh, uh, what our elected officials will end up doing in Washington, D.C., because uh, 
there is a lot of uh, lobbying that goes on from uh, different different uh, areas and while the healthcare spend is a big concern uh, rightly so for the elected officials they tend to focus on uh, where they can uh, cut back on spending and if it is not done right that can really impact the access to care uh, to patients that really bothers me and of course uh, you know the drug industry is where a lot of the money is being spent uh, not just the healthcare delivery it's not just the hospitals and physicians where you're spending the money majority of that goes into um, drug industry so uh, but they do have a pretty uh, um, you know big lobby so i hope that um, the decision makers uh, look at the final impact to the patients keeping the patients in the forefront and make those decisions so i'm hoping that uh, we in healthcare especially clinicians can um, help drive that are there specific initiatives you're keeping an eye on that that are top of mind or just generally speaking uh, i'm i'm speaking generally i mean each uh, each uh, healthcare uh, system has its own uh, areas that they would like to keep an eye on as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, we are uh, a healthcare organization who doesn't belong to any special category and receives any special kind of benefit. Uh, we are uh, a small independent hospital um, trying to do our best and uh, we have to look at all options. So um, it's, um, uh, it's challenging, but I do see uh, a, a path forward and uh, we can certainly do that. That's why I say, I think, um, change uh, is inevitable we just need to be prepared and be adaptable for that change we can always uh, uh, you know overcome that awesome and then one last question and then i'll let you go and be respectful of your time is um you've done a lot of amazing things since you started i know you know personally you brought telemedicine you've, you've done a lot of um, staff and staffing changes you made a lot of impact um, both as cmo as, and as ceo what is what are the top one or two things you're most proud of um, in terms of your impact at Liberty and in the surrounding community? Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's not always about me. Um, but uh, I do feel that having people develop trust in uh, leadership, that's extremely important. And um, many times we ask people to do things that they aren't always ready to do it. However, if they trust you and keeping the integrity and uh, being as uh, open as possible and uh, getting to people uh, to understand the significance of what they're doing, I think I've been able to do that for the most part in the last year. Um, I'm proud of that. I don't want to lose that. And I think uh, uh, if, if, if we give importance to people rather than a whole bunch of other things, uh, the buildings and uh, uh, structures and all that, I think we can uh, make a lot of things happen. And COVID helped in getting that done. And the people here, um, the culture-wise, the Liberty is so well known for uh, uh, the personal touch that patients and families uh, get. And uh, I think we should be able to continue that even when we grow and that's what a lot of larger systems lose and i don't want to lose that so if you can continue to grow i think i'll be uh, very happy and proud uh, we've been able to do that here in north Sand. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you uh, taking taking your morning to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a uh, it's an exciting podcast, and uh, I'm uh, I'm thrilled to join uh, very many of your other uh, uh, speakers who are uh, very well known and uh, spoke very highly. So thank you. Mm -hmm.